Father, we pray as we come to your word now, as we come to your truth, your life, the source of confidence that we have in a risen, ascended, and returning King, we pray, Father, that our hearts would leap with the reality of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, team. And thank you for um, working with some of our technical hitches this morning. We'll be uh, extending the service by an extra quarter of an hour just to allow for the new start time that we had today. But it's my great joy this morning to talk about a topic that I, I am just so excited to bring it. We're going to look at the second coming of Jesus today. I love reading novels. I, I've already read a number of novels this year. And one thing I'm mindful of, whenever I read a book, a good story, a good thriller of some sort, that there is um, one purpose that I'm working towards, and that's the end. That's the conclusion. That is that I hope that there's going to be some finality to this story in some way. And everything builds towards that. The writers of good novels will often say that before they start writing, that they do get a good outline of the book, and they also know how the thing is going to end, so that when they go back and they write chapter by chapter, it's all working towards that. And there may be clues they'll put towards what's coming. There'll be character development. But everything is progressing towards the end. Now, when we look at our Christian story, we so often talk about the start. We talk right back to the beginning of Genesis. We talk about God making mankind in his, his image. We talk about the fall of man. We look through the characters of the Bible. We look at Abraham and Moses and Joseph. And we look in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and others, and we get to know things about them. And we get to see and understand who they are, but also, of course, our Savior, Jesus. And we often then spend some time looking at the story of God for when we step into the chapters. I'm so glad I'm in the story of God, aren't you? I'm so gl glad I'm part of his purposes. And yet, sometimes we get stuck in the parts of the story where we are, like as if in some way we are the central character. But the story of God, you and I are in there. But there is a final conclusion and a final ending that we read in the scriptures and we rarely talk about it. In fact, I've been here over seven, and a, seven years now. And during that seven years, I've never ever spoken on the second coming before. And I'm going to apologize and say I'm sorry for that. I should have done so. And I want to tell you some reasons why I and many other pastors, particularly in the UK, that we don't speak on this very often, even though the whole of our trajectory of our life is moving towards the final conclusion. Why don't we talk about that enough? Well, I grew up in a time when it was talked about all the time. And past generations uh, I have experienced, have even fallen out over a variety of interpretations that there can be about what we would call the end times. And I think some people in my generation, we thought, we don't want to fall out about those things. Secondly, there's a perception that there have been some wasted energies 
put into guessing or surmising or trying to interpret things that are happening around us that clearly when we look back on that all of those meetings we had to explore those things really came to very little. And I think there's a desire to not waste energy in spurious uh, prophetic links. Thirdly, I think there are some things about the end times where the Bible is not crystal clear. There are some things we're going to look at today, and I'll even talk about some areas that are open to a few interpretations. And that removes the confidence of preachers to talk about these topics. And also, the reality is we've got lots to get on with today. So let's let tomorrow worry about itself and let's stick to what we know now. But the whole of our lives, the whole of the story of God is moving towards a conclusion, a final moment, a final day, a day where Jesus returns. And it's important that we look at that together. The end of the story does have some complexities and various interpretations. And I, and I pray that the reasons that we've not talked about this enough, that we will learn some lessons from those reasons and still talk about it. So let's show grace, shall we, to those who interpret things differently. Let's be people who as well as show diligence in the scriptures, that we show diligence in demonstrating grace towards one another. Let's avoid expending disproportionate amounts of energy running down rabbit warrens of speculation that may tickle our intrigue but end up being nothing more than spurious claims. And let's not be intimidated by those things we don't easily understand. Let's determine to lean in and to learn. So, just going to take a micro topic, a big center part of the end times. We're going to look at the return of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Now, how can we put confidence in the Bible that says that? Well, let me tell you, the Bible is a prophetic book. In this book, there are 737 different prophetic predictions. Of those 737 prophetic predictions, 594 have already come to pass. That means about 80% of the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. If you compare that to scientific journals where people often contribute different um, predictions about what will happen in the future or what a new discovery will mean, they reckon about 25% of things printed in scientific journals of predictions for the future actually come true. The Bible is already at 80%, and there are lots of things that we hold on to that are still to come. I believe every single prophetic word in the Bible will be fulfilled, including that which Jesus said he will return. And so today, I'm going to look at three questions. How will he return? Where will he return? And when will he return? Let's look at the first one together. How will Jesus return? Acts chapter 1 verse 11 says these words. This same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
it will be like a reverse of what happened on his ascension. Daniel 7, and there's going to be lots of verses this morning, and I, I'm doing that because I want you to know this is what the Bible says, not what Mark says. And so I want you to get pen and paper and make a note, because some of these things you're going to have to go back on. You can always watch this video back if you forgot your pen today. But Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14 says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Go to another verse in Mark 14, 62. Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Let me tell you about this question about how will he return? He will appear in the clouds, not as some sort of apparition, but it, he will appear physically in bodily form. Jesus was given a new body at the resurrection. He was given a glorious body that will not decay. He has retained that body in heaven. And it is this embodiment, this glorious body, Jesus will return to this earth. His return, as well as being physical, it will be audible. And if you struggle with loud sounds in church, you're going to struggle at the second coming because it is going to be a loud occasion. We read that there were just two angels that accompanied Jesus at his ascension. But we read in Mark, Matthew 25 that Jesus talks of coming in glory and all the angels will be with him. It, there is going to be an incredible sight to behold. And it will be noisy. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Imagine the commanding shout of Jesus with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Angels shouting, Commander-in-Chief, lend his voice out in a shout and the trumpet blast of heaven. It is going to be an occasion. His first coming was under the radar in a manger on a, on a silent night. His second will not be like that. It will be visible. It will be loud. And it will be glorious. Matthew 24, 27 says, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man appears. Not as a baby, but as a king arriving in lit up skies to the sounds of angels and trumpet blasts. The New Testament uses three different Greek words to describe the second coming. The first is parousia, it's the most commonly used word, and it means an expected arrival. But there's two sort of implications of this word parousia. One is it's like a foreign king and an army arriving at the border of a land that they were intent on conquering. 
So his arrival is powerful, but it has a sense of invasion to it. But then there's a second implication. It's like the native king of a nation returning to their home with their party to visit the cities and be greeted by all the people of the return of the king. So which is it? Well, it depends. Unbelievers will see his return as an invasion. Believers will welcome and honor the arrival of their king. The second Greek word is epiphania. It's the appearing on the scene suddenly. It's not a gentle arriving. This is not being radioed ahead of time and, set and told he's half an hour away. This is suddenly. God appears on the scene suddenly to bring comfort and support. He helps his people. It is used to describe both the first and the second coming of Jesus. Then the third Greek word, apocalypsis. It's to uncover what has been hidden. It's like someone showing their true colors. If we apply this to royalty, it suggests somebody putting the crown on their head, the robes and the jewelry befitting of royalty. His second coming will be with great power, might, pomp, and authority. Matthew 24 verse 30 says, They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Let's look at the second question. Where will he return? Let me give you the answer straight up. It's the great city of Jerusalem. This is an incredible city, incredible nation. It's known for its conflict more than any other nation on the earth. It's always one spark away from igniting fires in the Middle East. The BC and the AD timeline was created there. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He was crucified there for crimes he didn't commit. He, he was resurrected in that city, and he ascended to heaven from that place. Jerusalem is located at the center of the world's landmass. It meets the points of three continents of Europe, Africa, and Asia. The Bible says Jesus will place his feet on the Mount of Olives, the same spot from which he left. Zechariah 14 verse 4 says, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. And we read that Christians, including those who have died, will be caught up in the clouds to meet him in the air. No oxygen tank needed. It will be a day like no other. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 talks about this and says, and then we will have received new immortal bodies ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15.51 talks about that, that just like his glorious body, we will be caught up with him. Now, Jesus' glorious body, it, it wasn't just a spiritual thing. He was able to do things with it. He was able to eat fish, to cook breakfast, 
but he was also able to walk through locked doors. He was able to appear, and he was able to be taken up into heaven with no oxygen attached. And we will have bodies like him. Some of you are shouting amen more than others around the thought of a new body. Let's look at the third question. When will he return? Well, get your diaries out. I'm going to give you the date. I can't do that. It says in the Word of God that no one knows that date except one person, the Father in heaven. Even Jesus confessed to not knowing the date. Look at it, Matthew 24, 36. It says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But Jesus also told his followers that they would not be able to find out when, even though they weren't able to find out when, they were more likely to be ready if they didn't know. How can that be true? Let's look at some more verses in the Gospels. Mark chapter 13, verses 33 onwards. It says, be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. In Acts 1.7, it says these words, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Will the second coming be a surprise and unexpected? Well, we've just seen, no one knows, so of course it will be. But also, it seems that Jesus is talking that there are, and we're going to look at this in a moment, that there are some signs that lead up to it, that paint a journey of things to look out for so that you can be expectant. So is it unexpected or is it expected? Which of this is it? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 on this theme of being unexpected seems to add to this. It says, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will be a surprise. So it's unexpected. But it will also be a conclusion of events. And we're going to square this paradox up in a moment. But let's look. There's quite a few verses here. Matthew 24, 3 to 14, because Jesus is talking with his disciples about the end times. Later, it says, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, 
and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Not much of a motivational talk for his disciples right there, is it? It says, you will be hated by all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. So will it be expected or unexpected? This is a question that's been debated for years. And I mentioned at the beginning that sometimes this topic has not been explored publicly in church settings because there are a number of interpretations around some of the the words of Jesus or the words of the scripture and people have come to various interpretations. I am trying to avoid many of those today, but this is one I can't avoid because there are those who will interpret the expected or unexpected question as a sign that there will essentially be two more returns that Jesus will bring. One of them will be a secret return. It will be a secret return that will not be what we've read about the trump of the Lord and the archangel and the voice of the Lord and the clouds and the dead in Christ rising, but they say that it will be a time when all the believers will suddenly just disappear. It's called the rapture. It's been made famous by a series of books called Left Behind, uh, made into a Hollywood film. And it basically, people will go to work one day and they'll say, where's Mark? I hope it wouldn't be me come to work and all the rest of the team are gone and I'm still here by myself. That'd be awful. But the rapture is a conviction that That will be like the thief in the night moment, that the church will be taken out. But then something will follow that called the tribulation, which is a real global time of intense difficulty in the world. And that will be short-lived, and then the second second coming. This will be the one where he comes on the clouds in bodily form, and it's loud, and the dead in Christ rise, and they're given new bodies, and so on. Some people square it off by believing that. And I really respect, I've got lots of friends and there's some of you in the church that you would hold dear onto that teaching and you've searched the scriptures diligently. I don't think that conviction or that theology um, has come just from sort of poor theology. Some people have searched the scriptures diligently and come to that conclusion and I respect and honor you for that. But it's not my conviction. I must say though, if you've come to that conclusion because you've read the Left Behind series, I think you need to come back to your Bibles and have a look diligently searching the scriptures. And you might come to the same conclusion, but at least come to it through the scriptures and not through some novel series of fiction. But then there are those who interpret this expected or this unexpected 
as two audiences. That one of the descriptions given is like at the time of Noah. You know, understand the story of Noah, that there was a judgment on the earth and the floods rose. And there were those who ridiculed Noah for his faith and for his action of his faith, for building this ark under the instruction of God. And when those flood waters came, it was unexpected to those who were caught in the flood waters, but it was expected by Noah and his family. That there are two distinctions. That it will come like a thief in the night for those who don't know the Lord. But for those who know him, we should be alert and vigilant. And we should be looking and longing for his return. There's much more I could say around that. But Matthew 24 says, therefore keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would have let, not let his house be broken into. There were four signs that Jesus answered the disciples, and I'm going to have to go over these very quickly because of time. But he said there will be disasters in the world. We read some of those things. The response for God's people in that is don't get caught up in panic with those things. Don't interpret these signs as the end of something, but as the birth pains of something new that's come in. It says there will be deserters in the church. It goes on to say in verse 9 to 14, do you know around 250 nations in the world and Christians are facing pressure in all but 30 of those countries. Persecution is growing and not diminishing around the world. Believers are facing hardship, prison, physical beating, and death because of their love for Jesus. That's happening today. And this will increase. And we would be wise to be ready. Persecution refines us. Now, I'm not stood here saying persecutors. But I'm telling you, throughout history, persecution has refined the people of God. It's too costly for nominal Christians. They don't survive it. They turn away from their faith. And they may even turn on those who are serious about their faith. It says that worldwide evangelism will increase as a result of the nominals betraying and going away from their faith. And those who are passionate for Jesus with nothing to lose, they will make it their obsession to get the gospel around the world. There will be false prophets who will also fall offer false comfort and hope to people. They'll make light of sin and believers need to show great discernment. But then another point, and if you are a rapture believer, you're in heaven rejoicing, watching why this takes place. If you're not a rapture believer, as I would be in that camp, that there's the tribulation, a period of time of worldwide hardship, persecution, disasters, famine, war, pain and suffering, which will affect all of creation and proceed judgment when the second coming takes place. There's much I could say about this, but just to say, it will be short-lived. Jesus will step in. What period of time will this be? Well, there are some clues in the scripture, although these are open to interpretation. Jesus talked about the abomination that causes desolation and uh, referring to Daniel who quoted that three times in some of his, uh, in some of his prophetic writings. And um, there was something that happened about 175 BC that was a Syrian king that took on, uh, that set up this abomination in the temple of God. 
and he put prostitutes in the priest's homes, and he um, sacrificed pigs on the altar to false gods, and it was an awful thing. But his reign lasted for three and a half years. But there were two aspects of Daniel writing that, that Jesus was referring to, that talked about the future. They hadn't yet happened. And we read in Revelation about a, a time, times, and a time and a half. A time is usually interpreted as a year, times as two years, and a, time, and a half time is half a year. And so some people will say they believe that the, that the tribulation will be about three and a half years in length. And then Jesus will step in. These days will be difficult. Believers will be persecuted and martyred. But God will step in. Church, I've been saying for months... We need to get stronger. This is not a hobby on a Sunday. This is not like some belief system to try and make you good neighbors. This is real. This is the end of the story. And you and I, whether we like it or not, whether we like the chapter we're in, we're heading there. And you can know everything that you need in Christ Jesus to be strong. But it takes you stepping over the line from nominal into being absolutely surrendered to the Lord. One more sign as we close. The sky will be darkened. Evidence of the sun, the moon, and the stars will be extinguished. We read in Isaiah 13, the stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Joel chapter 2 which was also quoted in Acts when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. It says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Church, he is coming soon. But you say, Mark, throughout history, they've been saying soon for thousands of years now. Do you know Martin Luther said that Jesus was coming back in 1636? John Wesley announced that Jesus was coming back in 1874. Some people predicted that Jesus was coming back in 1988, 40 years after the Jewish state was established again. The Apostle Paul, going back thousands of years to the New Testament, he hoped that Jesus would return in his lifetime. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, he says, After that, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Notice his use of the word, we. He lived expectantly, believing. But even in the New Testament, the believers were starting to be ridiculed about this expectation that Jesus was coming back soon. And Peter addressed this. He said in 2 Peter 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, that's what scoffers do, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And Peter responded with two things. First of all, he said, God is outside of time. He used these words, to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God soon and our soon are rarely synchronized in expectation. God's timing is different. 
So should God really have used the word soon, knowing that how much it would cause us confusion around its interpretation? I believe God has used the word soon very intentional. Because if he'd said, one day I'll be back, we thought, well, it's like that diet, isn't it? One day never comes. But he says soon, because every day we wake up, we're meant to say this could be the day that Jesus returns. We're meant to live in light of that expectation. It's meant to change our habits. It's meant to change our thinking. It's meant to change our hope. It's meant to change our expectation. As you wake up and you feel isolated in this lockdown situation, you can look out of the window and say, Jesus is coming back. And it's meant to change you. It's meant to transform our understanding. That's why he says soon. And by the way, Jesus is more concerned with how we've been living while he's been gone than what we'll be doing the moment he comes back. But secondly, and oh, the mercy of God in this, the delay means the judgment has not taken place yet. While you're crying out, Lord, come back today, some of our friends in Pakistan right now are being persecuted for their faith. And crying out, come Lord Jesus, come soon Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say come. That every day that he doesn't return is another day for people to have an opportunity to come, to kneel at his feet and say, God, I give my life to you. It's his mercy. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is the God of the ages. The past, the present, and the future is firmly in his hands. It will not be environmental disasters that will cause this world to end. It will not be wars that will cause this world to end. It will be as Revelation talks about the unfolding of the scrolls, the opening of the scroll, and the return of the Lord in his time. As the hymn writer Horatius Spatford who wrote, it is well with my soul. In some of the final verses of that hymn, he said, but Lord, it's for you, for your coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest, O my soul. There's another verse we don't often sing. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be our sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend and a song in the night, oh my soul. Let's pray together as the band come back and join me. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you that we're not left as orphans. Your spirit is with us and your spirit 
is bringing alive your word in our hearts. It's teaching us, giving us insight and understanding. Filling our lives with expectant hope of that which is to come. And Lord, if we've neglected to live in light of eternity, God, we're sorry. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can now. He is holding back his judgment so that you can know him this morning. As you give your life to Jesus, Jesus died on the cross so that you could be set free to pay the price for your shame, your shame and your sin. It says if you will confess your sin, he's faithful, he'll forgive you. If you've lived your life as a nominal follower of Jesus and it's become a bit part of your life, please, I appeal to you. Please surrender everything. Give him your all. The band sing this next final song before we close our gathering. Sorry we've gone over time this morning. It's a bit of a crazy thing to try and fit in the second coming into a short talk online. But I just felt that God wanted to stir our hearts today. And as they lead us in this next song, if you've not given your life to Jesus, why didn't you speak to one of the online team, put it in the chat, say, I'd like to know Jesus today. And they'd love to help you and pray with you. If you've been nominal, why don't you get in your face right now and let the joy of the Lord captivate your heart and be your strength as the team leaders in this song.